Welcome back, everyone. Hope you all had a great weekend. For tonight's episode, we're going to be getting into a little bit of the strange and unexplained. But first, let me start with a personal story. When I was around seven years old, I had a gigapet. And now a lot of you 90s babies, I'm sure you remember gigapets. Actually, I think they made a bit of a resurgence here as of lately, as with everything from the 90s. Now, see, this gigapet was a special one. It was a limited edition. I remember it came from, uh, I think it might have been a fast food place at the time. I think it was like a special or something they were having. But that's neither here nor there. But as a kid, I took it everywhere. I slept with it. I took it to school. It was a a very big part of my life. And I just remember that it was a a dog, Gigapet. Now, I always slept with this Gigapet on the nightstand. Now, the things you should know is that as someone that has a fear of home invasions, I always sleep with my doors locked. Always have. Call me a creature of habit, if you will. But on this particular night, I put the gigapet on my nightstand and I went to sleep. Now, the door was locked. There was no way anyone could get in or out unless the door was unlocked. Well, that morning I woke up And the gigapet was gone. It had disappeared from the nightstand. And of course, me really loving that, I looked everywhere for it. I couldn't really understand why all of a sudden my gigapet wasn't where I left it. It's like it didn't exist anymore. It vanished into thin air. Now, maybe it was a ghost, uh, you know. uh, For those of you who follow ghost stories you might be familiar that ghosts like to hide things but this just seemed different the gigapet was nowhere to be found even when we moved out of the house never found it again and that's what tonight's episode is going to be about no it's not going to be about gigapets It's going to be about different dimensions, parallel universes. There are a lot of stories on Reddit that take this with a grain of salt. They've experienced similar things. They've woke up and a light switch might be on another side of the wall. Or they might take a turn around a corner and an apartment complex that they're familiar with will be a completely different color or just casual items that they've owned before just disappear without a trace. Did they move to a parallel universe? Did I move to a parallel universe where I didn't have a gigapet? Well, tonight's episode, I'm going to tell you a few stories about from different universes. And if you're new here, I'm your host and curator of all things strange and unexplained, Anthony Rossetti. 
and you're listening to Not Another Horror Podcast. The question for tonight, do other realities brush up against our own? Are there parallel dimensions lying just beyond through some thin, untraceable veil separating us? The idea of parallel realities beyond our own is not new. Yet, what if this phenomenon were to come bursting forth from the realm of theory and speculation and came crashing down into the now? Are there perhaps some people who have stepped over the barrier into domains we have not yet to see, and which we may indeed not even be meant to see? So this brings me to my first interesting story. There was this curious story of a woman who apparently shifted into another parallel universe in 1934. According to the report in the fall of that year, a woman by the name of Miriam Golding had a profoundly unusual experience while riding an elevator with her fiancé in Chicago. The elevator was crowded and when Miriam made a mistake and got off at the wrong floor, she found that she could not push her way back and pass the throng of people and resigned herself to waiting for the next one. That was when she looked around and was startled to realize that she was no longer in the store at all, but rather an expensive train station. The enormous railway station she found herself in was allegedly bustling with fevered activity, with throngs of travelers rushing to their trains and booming announcements of arrivals and departures echoing through the air. There seemed to be no way this busy place could have any connection whatsoever to the music store she had been in moments before. The confused Miriam made her way to an information booth to ask where she was, but found that the woman working there completely ignored her as if she weren't there at all. Confused, as any of us would be, Miriam followed a series of signs pointing the way to the street outside, and she emerged out into a mild, sunny afternoon that seemed to be in the midst of a summer rather than fall in a place that was most certainly not Chicago. She wandered around in confusion and noticed that everyone around her seemed to completely ignore her and walk on by as if they did not even see her. At some point, she claims that she saw a confused looking boy standing in the sidewalk similarly being passed on by people who seemed to have no idea he was even there. And Miriam approached him wondering what was going on. The boy was actually able to see Miriam and responded to her and looked in her direction, the first time anyone had acknowledged her presence in this strange, surreal place. As she approached, the boy seemed equally relieved that he was visible to Miriam, smiled slightly, and purportedly started saying, 
I guess they let you off at the wrong stop too. The two lost people walked together down the street in confusion, the whole time completely ignored by those around them. And the boy told Miriam of what had happened. He claimed that he had been playing tennis in Lincoln, Nebraska in the United States and had gone to the locker room to change his shoes. We had gone back to the courts to play some more. He had found that the tennis court had been their moments. The two lost people walked together down the street in confusion, the whole time completely ignored by those around them. The boy told Miriam what happened to him. He claimed that he had been playing tennis in Lincoln, Nebraska, in the United States, and had gone to the locker room to change his shoes. When he had gone back to the course to play some more, he had found that the tennis court that had been there moments before was now gone, and in its place was a huge train terminal, which had turned out to be the exact same station Miriam had entered from the elevator. The two allegedly kept on walking until they reached an open area that led to water. And over the waves, they could apparently make out a sandbar with several women upon it, chatting and seeming to act as if nothing was beyond the ordinary. To, to Miriam's astonishment, one of the women was oddly her fiancé's sister. The woman out on the sandbar seemed to notice them and began waving and shouting to Miriam and her companion. This encouraged the boy to try and make his swim out to the sandbar, which did not seem so far in which he was confident he could reach. Yet even though he was a good swimmer, it seemed that no matter how much he tried and pushed against the waves, he wasn't able to draw any closer to the mysterious sandbar, and he returned to shore in frustration. It was then that the sandbar supposedly suddenly vanished into thin air. Miriam closed her eyes in exasperation, disappointment, and exhaustion, and then was overcome by the sensation of floating through space. After some time of this odd feeling of hovering in darkness, she claimed that she suddenly opened her eyes to find herself sitting atop a stool in the music store in Chicago, which seemed to be in the process of closing for the night, suggesting that she had been there for at least several hours. Disoriented, Miriam looked around for her fiancé, but could not find him and decided to head back to his home. When she arrived, her fiancé was noticeably relieved and explained that he had lost her in the store and had waited for her to come back to the right floor for a few hours before deciding to go back home. Bizarrely, the fiancé's sister, whom Marion had seen on the mysterious sandbar earlier, claimed that she had seen Marion in town and had even called out to her, but that she had been too absorbed in talking to a young boy to notice her. Where did Marion go during that time? Why should she see her fiancé's sister in a sandbar while the sister has seen her in town? All while they could not reach across to communicate. Were they separated by strange barriers? We do not and may not ever understand. It is a mystery. Another strange article in the April 1959 issue of Fate magazine tells of the weird experience of Francis E. Peterson of... Keokuk, Iowa, who in 1935 was traveling home with her husband and four children from a weekend trip to Missouri. On the way, they noticed what looked 
like a quaint scenic detour in the area of St. Patrick, and they whimsically took it, driving along the rustic, quiet scenery until they reached the rim of an expansive valley. In addition to the picturesque scenery was the rather odd sight of several women in old-fashioned sunbonnets and long skirts and aprons, busily pulling water from a well into simple wooden buckets and carrying them off on wooden poles, balanced across their shoulders. There were men here as well who all had beards and wore similarly old-fashioned clothes such as smocks and large black hats, and who were tending flocks of sheep and goats of collecting firewood. Enamored with the quaint, charming scene, they later asked locals what the settlement was, yet were told that no such place had ever existed. Convinced that it did indeed exist, Peterson and her husband returned to the area several times afterwards but could find no sign of the valley they had seen or its unusual inhabitants, suggesting that either the family or the place they had visited had been temporarily transported over some little understood thin spot between realities. In another similarly strange road story from 1962, a Mr. R. W. Balcom and his wife were driving to Lake Tahoe from their home in Live Oak, California. The couple stopped at a quaint restaurant nestled away off of Highway 50, a few miles from Placerville. They had never noticed the restaurant there before in all of their years of traveling along the same route. Even though it seemed from its weathered, rustic look to have been there for years, and they decided to stop there for a bite to eat. The food was described as being surprisingly good and the service was cordial and friendly, so they decided that they would visit again. On their return trip from Lake Tahoe, they attempted to seek out the charming little restaurant to eat there again, but when they arrived at the location, it was reportedly gone, as if it had never been there at all. Perplexed, the couple supposedly spent three more weekends traveling through the area in an effort to find that restaurant that they were convinced was there, but never found it again. Did Balcom and his wife travel to a parallel universe for lunch? No one knows. An intriguing case of a mysterious doorway to another dimension, and perhaps even the time itself, occurred in 1956 when a treasure hunter by the name of Ron Quinn ventured with his brother Chuck and some friends into the remote and rugged mountains of southeastern Arizona, looking for mysterious lost Spanish treasures and gold mines. The case begins with high strangeness and only gets more bizarre as it goes on. Three weeks into their adventure, the treasure hunters set up camp one night, and that evening, they were surprised to see two large balls of bluish-green light floating about in the darkened, starry sky. The bewildered campers determined that these were not flares of any kind, nor any sort of known aircraft. The weird balls of light hovered about for several minutes before vanishing beyond some mountain peaks. The next evening, the same phenomenon was witnessed again. When they mentioned the strange lights to a local cowboy named Louis Romero, he informed them that the unexplained lights were a reoccurring phenomenon in the area and had been seen as far back 
1939. The group would spot the strange lights several more times over the course of their excursion. At one point during their travels, the group passed by what looked like a stone archway, which stood out as something of an anomaly upon the landscape, looking decidedly out of place. Yet they didn't think much of it until later. When they spoke to a native local named John, who claimed that the archway had long been surrounded by strange stories and rumors that anyone who entered the doorway never came out, and the objects thrown in would not emerge from the other side, earning the structure the name Doorway of the Gods. There were also stories of the archway shimmering and of strange figures lurking around dressed in old-fashioned clothing that did not seem to be ghosts. As they disturbed the gravel where they stepped and cast shadows, yet they would suddenly vanish. There were also tales of camps near their archway that had been mysteriously abandoned and of prospectors who had never returned from the area. John relayed his own tale of strangeness concerning the archway, claiming that one dark and stormy day he had visited it and peered through it to see that. Although the scenery was the same, the sky was oddly clear and blue on the other side. When he looked around the edge of the doorway, the clouds were once again dark and thick, hanging over the scene, and the bizarre sight with its contrasting views frightened him. Enthralled with these odd stories, Quinn and his group went back through the rocky terrain to find the mysterious archway and investigate it. They managed to locate the strange-looking structure once again, and upon closer inspection, it proved to be surrounded with an unusually large deposit of geodes some of which were broken open with their interiors glittering in the sun. The archway itself was measured as being around 7 feet high and 5 feet wide, with columns of indesite, 15 inches diameter, and it stood beside a steep rocky slope. After checking it out, the team went to work testing out the weird stories by throwing various rocks through the opening. But the rocks all mundanely fell to the ground on the other side and there were no signs of anything remotely mysterious whatsoever. Increasingly skeptical, some of the members of the team boldly put their arms through without incident, although no one was willing to try stepping all the way through. After around an hour of this, they departed no closer to understanding the supposed mystery of this location. However, a weird series of events would unfold in the coming days that would make them think that something strange was going on. One day, as they were checking out the portal yet again and collect some of the geodes, Roy and another member of the team, Walt, noticed that the stone portal seemed to be shimmering as if simmering in intense heat. Even though it was a cold January day, the odd shimmering allegedly lasted a few minutes, during which time both men claimed that they could feel a building pressure within their ears. Before the shimmering and the weird physical sensation slowly ebbed away, the inexplicable event spooked both of them, especially Roy, who vowed never to go anywhere near the archway again. On another occasion, the group came across another group of three treasure hunters who claimed that they had also camped out near the mysterious stone portal. The group claimed that evening their camp had been hit by what sounded like rain hitting their tents. Even though it was a clear night, looking out of their tents, they were met with the sight of small reddish-brown pebbles 
around the size of a pea falling in great numbers from above. The pebbles were found to be warm to the touch, and there was no explanation for where they came from. They seemed to be made of some king of iron ore. All of these escalating odd occurrences will point to something decidedly strange going on at the archway, but the most bizarre incident would happen years after the expedition. Four years after that fateful treasure hunt, on October 14, 1973, Chuck Quinn was compelled to make a personal trip to the site of the stone portal that had eluded their understanding and arrived at the canyon that led up to the slopes that would lead up to the site. Chuck went about climbing up the steep, rocky slopes towards the archway, stopping for a breather about halfway up the heroin climb. It was here, as he looked out west over the majestic scenery all around him, that he noticed that there was a canyon that should have not been there. Baffled, he made his way back down the slope to enter from the east, and it was there that he realized that, in fact, he was in the same canyon he had been in before. Only he had somehow been transported 250 yards down the canyon he had hiked along, and to another slope that was facing south rather than west. The strange event convinced him that indeed there was something strange going on here. He hastily left the scene. Was this some sort of doorway to another dimension? Or merely tall tales? One wonders if perhaps some of the most bizarre vanishings and reappearances of people also have some form of interdimensional shift at their core. At about 7pm on August 15, 1960, six-year-old Kathy Kramer of Woods Hole, Massachusetts, simply vanished from her room in her home. Her parents had checked on her when she was sleeping one minute, and the next, she was gone without a trace. When authorities arrived, the house was searched top to bottom, and no signs of forced entry or a struggle could be found. Kathy's bed seemed to be in a peaceful state, with no sign of being disturbed in any kind of confrontation. The window to the room was also closed and locked and showed no signs of anyone coming in or going out that way. An intensive search was immediately launched, composed of hundreds of people including police, firemen, volunteers, airmen from nearby Otis Air Force Base and bloodhounds as well as the Coast Guard scouring the nearby coast, yet absolutely no evidence of the missing girl could be found anywhere. She had simply vanished off the face of the earth. Then later at 3 a.m. on the same evening, Kathy's very worried parents went into her room to be startled by the sight of their missing daughter sleeping peacefully in her bed as if she had never been gone. When she was asked about where she had been, the girl gave the cryptic response of, I'm not telling. What happened to this little girl? How could a six-year-old disappear from her bed, elude an intensive search, by various professionals and then reappear fast asleep exactly where she had vanished. Is this also perhaps an example of someone crossing through the veil between realities to pass temporarily into, into some parallel world or dimension? The only person who knows the answer to that is Kathy Kramer herself and unfortunately she's not telling.
Now let's talk about another mysterious case. The Green Children of Woolpit. The Green Children of Woolpit are two of history's most enigmatic visitors. As well as the oldest tale of interdimensional travel known, dating back to the 12th century. The story says that two children were discovered on the outskirts of Woolpit, Great Britain. Unlike most children, these kids had one feature that really stood out. Green skin. As soon as farmers found them, they began to cry in panic. The children were taken back into Woolpit and given food and drink. At first, they refused to eat. One child, a boy, refused to eat and starved to death. The other, a girl, began to eat uncooked beans. Slowly but surely, her skin began to return to a normal color. She wasn't able to speak the language, so it took a while to learn. Once she learned to speak English, she told an amazing story. The green girl claimed that she and her brother came from a place called St. Martin's Land, which was always in a state of darkness. Everyone there lived on the ground and had green skin. She also said that across a river was another luminous civilization. She said that they had come upon a cave and decided to explore. They ended up walking until they found a wool pit. When they looked back, the cave had disappeared. Most people who believe in the story agree that these two kids came from an alternate universe or dimension. What else could it be? Most of the disappearances and appearances we've talked about so far seem to have been done spontaneously. But if historical records are correct, at least one instance of interdimensional travel was done on purpose. An eccentric inventor by the name of William Cantello was working on his newest invention, a rapid-fire machine gun. Cantello had told his sons that he was going to go to the market to sell it, and that was the last anyone ever saw of him. A private investigator suggested that Cantello could have gone to America, but that too was difficult to prove. The mystery gets a bit stranger after about 20 years, when an American man by the name of Hiram Maxim invented a rapid-fire machine gun by the name of the Maxim gun. Maxim bore an uncanny resemblance to the missing inventor, so much so that Cantello's sons actually mistook Maxim for their father. To make things even more bizarre, Hiram Maxim claimed in his autobiography that there was a man who was impersonating him. This suggests that Maxim might have been dealing with the fleck from being mistaken for Cantello for quite some time. Could it be that Hiram Maxim was the alternate history version of William Cantello? Many have suggested this to be the case. Another mysterious case takes place in Paris. In 1905, Paris police had arrested a strange-looking man for stealing a loaf of bread. It soon became clear that the man didn't speak any recognizable language at all. The language he spoke sounded similar to Esperanto, but didn't have the right grammar at times. After much difficulty, police had finally found a way to get him to explain something about himself. They successfully asked him where he was from. He replied, Lesbia and people initially thought that he was from Lisbon. He didn't understand Portuguese, though, and he didn't recognize the map of Portugal when it was presented to him. It didn't take too much time for people to realize that he actually meant that Lisboa 
uh, Lesbia <laughs> was the country. Not much could be found out what about what happened to him. Could it be he was sent back home to his home reality? One of my favorite tales so far would be Utsuro Boon. You see, Utsuro Boon has the title of being one of the oldest legends in Japan dealing with UFOs, as well as one of the oldest legends dealing with interdimensional beings. Utsuro Boon means hollow ship and refers to the appearance a strange ship made out of metal and wood with crystal windows that had arrived off the shores of Japan, Hitachi province. Inside the extremely futuristic ship was a woman with pale skin, bright red hair, with white hair extensions. When she had run into locals, the startled woman was terrified. She didn't speak a language that anyone recognized and she kept clutching a strange box. When locals searched her ship, they only found two sheets, a small water supply, and some strange food that seemed to be a pastry made out of bread and meat. Unsure what else to do, the locals put the woman back on her strange ship and sent her back out to sea. Normally this would be debunked as strange form of fiction, but the same woman had been seen landing off Japan's shores a number of times. Writing that appeared on the ship also was reproduced in a number of the scrolls that described her. And it's not a language that could be recognizable anywhere in the world. Because of her human appearance, many people believe that she was a person who was lost in the wrong dimension. I know that a lot of you are familiar with Skinwalker Ranch. And pretty soon it will have its own episode on the show. But certain areas just seem like they naturally have a pull with the paranormal. The most notorious place for high strangeness is the Skinwalker Ranch. The ranch has long been reported to have multiple portals to another dimension. And many people who have spent the night there have witnessed strange happenings that couldn't be explained in any other way. Perhaps the best described sightings of interdimensional beings in travel comes in Hunt for the Skinwalker. In the book, a hunter described seeing an interdimensional tunnel open up while using his binoculars. At first it just looked like a bright yellow circle, but it soon began to have more depth. After it opened, the witnesses began to talk about a large faceless creature visibly crawling through it, and then leaving the brightly shining portal before clambering into the woods. The hunters quickly left the scene, knowing full well that they didn't want to be anywhere near this strange creature. Though this is the most jarring evidence of interdimensional beings traversing the ranch, many other examples have been cited. Animals that don't exist, humans that could no way run that fast, and unidentified crafts that have all been in the vicinity. What's your take on it? Would love to hear your own opinions. Have you ever heard of the cabin in Peru? Peru's Marcoasi stone forest have been reported to be a doorway to another dimension for centuries. It's to be expected considering how many of the stone formations have eerie resemblance to human faces, religious symbols, and more. It's also known for having travelers who journey there never to be seen again. According to Dr. Raul Centeno, one woman decided to braid the forest with friends despite being warned about strange disappearances in the area. She and her friends on the trip saw a strange cabin in the middle of the stone forest. 
and could hear people having a party inside. They looked inside the cabin's windows and saw that they were dressed in 17th century clothing. Entranced by the strange revelers, the woman had tried to enter the cabin. She was halfway in before her friends pulled her back out. Almost immediately, she realized that she was paralyzed on the side of her body that had entered the strange cabin. Dr. Centeno diagnosed her with hemiplasia and suggested that her quick trip into another dimension may have permanently altered her nervous system. And last but not least, the most famous case from the stories I've told you tonight, the man from Torrid. Often considered to be the most well-documented instance of an interdimensional traveler, in 1954, Japan's Haneda Airport was checking passports of passengers, just as they usually would. One passport was a bit different, though, and it belonged to a well-dressed businessman who spoke fluent French and Japanese. The alarming difference that made security officials pull the man aside was the fact that he somehow seemed out of place. They began to question him, assuming that he was a trafficker. The man was confused by this. He said that he was from Torrid and that it was a country situated between France and Spain. Customs did not believe him, and he didn't believe Customs when they said that Torrid didn't exist. Annoyed, he showed them his passport, which was from Torrid. The man, who was increasingly distraught, was desperately trying to prove that he was correct. The passport had a number of official stamps from other countries, all of which appeared to be legitimate. The passport itself didn't seem fraudulent either, however, it was from a country that never existed. Customs officials took him to a local hotel to spend the night while they investigated the matter. The hotel room was guarded so he wouldn't escape if he was a trafficker. He agreed and entered the room. That was the last anyone ever saw of the man from Torrid or of his passports. Both he and all of his personal effects disappeared that night, despite many of them being miles away in airport security's hands. So are any of these accounts somehow anchored in any way to reality as we know it? Are these the realm of the lost mind, untethered, spinning fantastical tales either out of hallucination, insanity, or an irrational attempt to make sense of distorted perceptions? Can this all simply be explained away somehow, or is there a genuine phenomenon hinting at forces of the universe we have yet to comprehend buried within these accounts? Are we perhaps just one of many alternate realities stacked upon one another in which between slips shifting and travel are possible? The answers are elusive, and we may continue to pour over and debate them forever. However, as long as there is a probability and possibility of worlds beyond our own, there will always be those who look out into our universe are perhaps inward, to seek to try to grasp just what this all might mean. In the meantime, cases like this will remain a tantalizing peak into what just may be out there beyond our grasp to conceive of it. See you guys next week.